Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Mountain right! Welcome to the show! And welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars in Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I am the co-founder of JustBaseball.com, as well as a prospect writer and analyst, and in today's episode, we have part two here of this New York Yankees farm system breakdown. In case you missed part one, which I literally released about an hour ago. So when I say today's episode, we actually split up two episodes into one day. I talked about it on part one, but real quick, if you didn't catch part one and for whatever reason wanted to skip to part two because you're more into the sleepers or lesser known names in the system, I split it up into two today just because this would have been a one and a half hour episode. And I always feel like looking at an hour and a half episode is almost intimidating where you look at two 40 minute episodes and it might be a little bit more enticing. Also, I just like to split it up a little bit, makes it a bit more digestible and easy to follow. So we went through prospects one through five in this Yankee system in part one. And that means we're going to start six through 10 here. And then some of the other names worth following. Also a reminder that you can check out all of the write-ups in the description, though the rankings have been adjusted slightly, uh, mostly just flip-flopping Jason Dominguez and Oswald Peraza, and there might be some subtle tweaks as we update the Yankees system after the new Top 100 comes out. Other than that, it's mostly the same, and the write-ups are not going to change much at all. Most of the scouting grades, everything like that, has not changed. It's more just where we feel like each guy stacks up against each other moving forward. That's the only slight tweak that I made since we put out this Yankees farm system, but definitely check out the full write-ups at JustBaseball.com in the description. And also, if you enjoy the podcast, would really, really appreciate if you could take a moment to leave a rating, as it is always extremely helpful to hear how I'm doing, and of course, it really helps grow the podcast. But let's jump into number six here, and this is a guy, as I talked about at the end of part one, I'm extremely bullish on Ken Waldichuk, left-handed pitching prospect with the Yankees, who I still feel like, of course, he had a massive year, and that really boosted his prospect uh, shine, and I think it really showed that the Yankees have something here, and people are starting to pay more attention to Ken Waldichuk, and I still don't think he's getting the love that he deserves. I don't think he's getting ranked as highly as he should as we look at some of the prospect rankings through uh, you know, where people are ranking some of these Yankees guys throughout different publications. To me, Waldichuk has everything you want uh, in a starter, a left-handed starter, and has a lot of staying power, I think, to be a middle-of-the-rotation type of dude who's going to get a lot of swing and miss. I mean, the fastball is ridiculous. The profile is just 
incredibly unique, really hard to hit. He's incredibly deceptive. And that's why the numbers are not surprising to me at all. He made a joke out of high A competition. He literally did not give up a run in 30 and two thirds innings. 30 and two thirds, he gave up zero earned runs, struck out 55, walked 13. Got the call up to double A, obviously, because why wouldn't you call a guy up after going 30 and a two thirds scoreless innings in high A? And a reminder that we also had not seen him pitch above rookie ball prior to last season. So he's 23 years old and we had not seen him pitch above rookie ball because as a guy that was drafted out of college in 2019 in the fifth round was a bit older and a bit delayed here on the track. So yeah, you could cite the fact that he is already 24 years old now turned 24, 30 days ago. And I think that's some of the reason why we're seeing him get knocked as a prospect, but dude, the guy has not played at all. Like he threw a hundred innings for the first time in professional baseball last year and pitched above rookie ball for the first time in professional baseball last year and was just absurdly, absurdly good between high A and double A. So the numbers in high A, he was averaging 16 strikeouts per nine, which is an absolute joke. Walk rate a little bit high. That's going to be something to follow was walking 3.8 batters per nine in high A. That walk rate inflated a little bit more in double A. As you'd expect, you got to be a little bit more careful as a pitcher and the strike zone gets a little bit smaller. But with the strikeout rates remaining consistent in double A, the just inability for guys to square him up, remaining consistent in double A, there's a lot to like here with Ken Waldachuk. With the two levels combined, he struck out 36% of batters, walked 11% of batters, held opponents to a 192 batting average, 1.15 whip, and a 3.03 ERA. So the ERA did jump when he went, well, it's going to jump no matter what. It was zero, so it can't go down. Uh, but his ERA did go to 4.2 in double A, but the swing and miss numbers were so good. The expected FIP was 4.02. He was burned a little bit by the long ball. And I'll get into that because that's a very typical thing. And ironically, it was something I actually just talked about with Yankees pitcher Nestor Cortez on the Just Baseball show. Definitely go check that episode out if you're a Yankees fan or just like player interviews in general, because Nestor Cortez was awesome last week on the Just Baseball show. But when you are a pitcher who really thrives on that fastball up in the zone, and it's maybe not 98, it's 92 with really good life up in the zone, you're susceptible to the long ball because if you don't set the pitch up properly or if you miss a little bit lower, a couple of baseballs lower than your intended spot, guy can backspin that pitch really easily and hit it out of the yard. So there's a smaller margin for error there, but when you're able to start getting that all to work and you have it working off of a really good changeup and you sequence well and you keep hitters off balance and you hit your spots a little bit better, yeah, you're going to give up a home run from time to time, but the swing and miss is going to be so ridiculous and it's going to be so hard for hitters to consistently be on time and know what's, hum what's coming and pick it up out of your hand that you're going to be in really good shape. And that's exactly what happened with Ken Waldachuk last year. And I think he's going to continue to limit the free passes. The command does need to overall get better. But Waldachuk, it's a plus fastball. He sits 93, whole top out at 95. Velo gets a little bit stronger, you know, as we've seen him. He's 6'4, 220. So he's really a, a big guy. And Waldachuk is somebody that reminds me a really, really close player comp at the big league level, I think, in terms of the built in deception, the fastball changeup mix that is so, so hard to pick up. He's got a lot of Trevor Rogers in him. And the thing with Waldachuk and Trevor Rogers, Rogers was an overlooked prospect. Yes, he was a first rounder, but we weren't that far removed from people saying, who is better, Trevor Rogers or Braxton Garrett in that Marlins system? 
and Rodgers really was struggling to, one, find the secondaries that worked for him, and two, use that deception to his favor. The fastball ticked up a little bit, and he really started to develop the changeup more and more. When you are a deceptive lefty, and Waldachuk and Rodgers fit in the same bucket, deceptive lefty that throws that invisible fastball, meaning that they hide the ball really well, and it's a slingshot. Their arm is almost the last thing to come forward, and the ball just comes flying at you almost last minute, and it gets on you really quick. That's what Rodgers does so well. That's what Waldachuk does so well. And that's why nobody hit Waldachuk's fastball. I mean, between high A and double A, opponents did not hit well against that heater from Waldachuk. Opponents posted sub-600 OPS numbers against that four-seamer from Waldachuk because of that life it has up in the zone, because of the way his plus changeup, and I think it's bordering on plus-plus, sets up the fastball elevated. So you think about it from this perspective, and this is, again, what really helps Rodgers is you're really geared up from the, for the fastball, whether you're a lefty or a righty. If you're a lefty, it's miserable because you really got to worry about that thing looking like it's coming at your hip and it's just got so much life and gets in on your hands so quickly. Uh, but if you're a righty, and that's why Waldachuk and Rodgers, the comp is really consistent here because they both have some similar uh, unique aspects to their numbers one being reverse splits. You'd expect a guy with a funky delivery from like a low or a high three quarters release from the left side to be really tough on lefties. While they're not easy on lefties, they're actually tougher on righties because of that slingshot, because of the way they hide their arms so well. Righties don't see the ball for even longer. And as a result, you're geared up for this fastball with a ton of life that you think is going to be really tough to hit up in the zone. And then it ends up being a changeup where the bottom drops off of it. So that's why you see Rodgers get ridiculous, ridiculous whiff numbers and just low slugging, batting average, whatever you want to call it, numbers across the board on his changeup. And that's why you see the same thing with Ken Waldachuk, who really gave up no hard contact on the changeup and got a ton of swing and miss on it. He's able to throw it to lefties. It works even better to righties because of that invisible that he's able to throw and how hard it is to differentiate until about the last 20 feet, fastball either that looks like it's elevating or changeup that the bottom drops off of. The polar opposites of those two pitches allow them to work in tandem and both play up off of each other. So even if both pitches were 55s in terms of their individual profile, they both play up to 60s because of the way they work off of each other. It's the same thing we saw with Rodgers. It's the same thing we're seeing with Waldachuk. And I feel like those types of guys get overlooked. We look at individual pitch quality and not the way the pitches work off of each other. Waldachuk's pitches work really well off of each other. Not to mention that he has a pretty decent breaking ball as well. I would say that his, his breaking ball is further along than Trevor Rogers was ahead of his debut. He changed the grip right before his debut, trying to find a way to have a more decent breaking ball. The breaking ball gives you another look against lefties, and that's all you really need. So you have the fastball and breaking ball against lefties. You can sprinkle in the changeup, and then righties are really dealing with the devastating mix of the fastball changeup that has worked more than well enough for Rodgers, and I think will work more than well enough for Waldachuk. The big difference is going to be the command. Can Waldachuk continue to get better with the command? That is something I think he will be able to do. 6'4 guy with that build. Look, 
part of what works into his favor is that arm lag and the way he's able to make it almost seem like a slingshot invisible that's coming in on you quickly. But at the same time, it is hard to time all that up. So finding the balance between that deception and pounding the zone will be important. But Waldachuk got better uh, as the year went on. A lot of starts I saw the command was there. Uh, I think he'll be just fine, especially since he's mostly going with the fastball changeup combination and he's shown better and better feel for that changeup. It's ridiculous. It's so hard to differentiate from the fastball, and he's going to be a legit middle-of-the-rotation starter. I am going to go out on a limb and say this, but I think he's going to be a better pitcher at the big league level than Jordan Montgomery. Really, all that he needs to have happen here is the command continue to progress. But for me, I look at a Ken Waldachuk, and not only is he going to be somebody that with a good start to the season next year in double A, and as long as the command shows some signs of life, will be a top 100 prospect for me. He's a guy that I actually think could end up helping the Yankees in the back end of the rotation at some point next year if they need him, as long as he continues to develop at the double A level. Yes, he's 24, but for the reason I mentioned earlier, the age is not really of concern to me, and he could be up to the big leagues before he even turns 25 and will surely be in the big leagues before he turns 25. Give me that fastball changeup combination. Give me that deceptiveness, that build at 6'4", 220. Waldachuk's going to be a dude, and I'm really excited to see him continue to progress through the minors, one of the biggest names to watch in this system in 2022. Moving on to number seven, another guy that I think has you know, been overlooked a little bit, recent first-round pick, does a lot of things well at the plate, but just doesn't have anything that jumps off the charts, and as a result, you kind of see him not get as much love in the rankings of Trey Sweeney, who was drafted as a shortstop, should be able to stick there even though he's 6'4", 200. I think he moves really well at the position, should be good enough, and, and has really good instincts there to be able to stay there, and he's a, he's a solid athlete for his size. Eastern Illinois was where he called home for college baseball, where he was just ridiculous, and took home the Ohio Valley Conference Player of the Year award. With ease, hitting 382, 512 there with 14 homers in 48 games. He did not make it to the Cape League, but he did play in the Coastal Plains League where he was also absolutely absurd, hit 397 with an OPS of 1157. Numbers have been great wherever he's hit. If he played in the Cape League and put up numbers, he probably would have been a top 15 pick. Instead, we saw him selected late in the first round by the Yankees this past year. High floor guy. I mean, the bat's really going to translate. He makes really good swing decisions at the plate, and he has a very good approach. Good bat-to-ball skills. You got to feel comfortable in his hit tool. There were some small kinks in the swing. He has an aggressive leg kick timed up with a bit of a hitch in his load, and that's why it's a bit surprising that with the leg kick and the hitch in his load that he was able to have so much consistency at the plate through the years, and that's a testament to just how polished he is at the plate, how good his bat-to-ball skills are, and how good his approach is overall. That said, the Yankees have already been working with Trey Sweeney on adjusting some of those things at the plate, which I think is only going to make it easier on him. I think he's not going to lose any power quieting those things down a bit, and it's only going to make it easier for him to be on time. Still at low A last year, really solid numbers across the board. 245, 357, 518 slash line in 29 games. He had six home runs, 14% walk rate, 22% K rate. Solid across the board. I think there's room for even more consistent contact there. I think that we can see the average up to 270, 275 on base more in the 365, 370 range. And at that point, there's not as much pressure to produce 
big-time power numbers. But six home runs in 29 games is really solid. I think he's a guy that can hit you 20-plus comfortably. He's going to be able to probably stick it short. He's going to have a good approach at the plate. He's going to walk. He's not the most exciting dude in the world, but balanced tools across the board uh, in a slightly above average, maybe closer to average runner as he maybe fills out a little bit more. He's 6'4", 200, could probably put on another 10 pounds. If he puts on another 10 pounds and starts tapping into what's closer to plus power, it's a really interesting guy here. So I really like Sweeney as a high floor option that is a really good shot to be a big leaguer. Doesn't come with any major question. There's really not any major question there other than what will he excel at. And maybe he doesn't need to excel at anything other than just having good bat-to-ball skills and getting on base at a high clip. I'm really excited to see Sweeney with some of the adjustments that he'll make, some of the tweaks that he'll make. I think he will be somebody that, again, has no real hole in his game. And as a left-handed hitter at Yankee Stadium, yeah, I think he could easily tap into 25-plus there. Uh, but being more of a 20 to 25 home run guy with room for a little bit more playing up in the stadium and, of course, just smoothing out some of the small bumps he has in his swing. He seems like that Corey Seager light. Uh, obviously, Corey Seager is a lot better, and he's never going to tap into that kind of potential, but he does have a lot of those qualities to him and a lot of that balance to his game that that makes him a really exciting and intriguing prospect and a guy that I'm expecting to hit, without a doubt, going into next year. Coming in at number eight is Oswaldo Cabrera, another breakout dude in this system, another guy that added strength and also just started lifting the ball a bit more. And as a result, he had 29 home runs this past year, putting him only behind Dermis Garcia, who hit a ton of homers, also struck out as much as anybody. Cabrera was able to keep everything in check for the most part when it comes to the swing and miss. I mean, there's going to be a little bit of that in his game, but as a switch hitter, who added a pretty decent amount of muscle and also made the swing adjustments that allowed him to naturally lift the ball a bit more and find carry and started attacking the right pitches. Uh, It's no surprise to see him tap into more power. It is surprised to see how much more power he tapped into because we had never really seen him hit more than eight home runs in a singular season uh, in the minor leagues prior to last year. And then he hit 29 last year between double A and triple A. He was phenomenal in AAA in his nine games. I'll get there in a second because that was outrageous. But in his 109 games in AA, switch hitter who can play all over the diamond. I don't think he's going to be a, a true shortstop, but could bring a lot of value as a switch hitter who could play second. He could play third. He could play shortstop when you need him there. And I even think the guy could play some outfield if you really, really needed him to. He hasn't done it in his minor league career, but could probably figure it out. The arm plays there. He moves decently. He's not a burner by any means, but he does move pretty well. Somehow was able to steal 21 bags last year on 26 tries, despite not being really even an above average runner. He's got good instincts out there and he's just, he's got good footwork and you see that in the field. You see it, you know, on the base paths because double A was a level that wasn't impacted by any major rule changes base running wise. Those are 20 legit stolen bases. And it wasn't like he had some atrocious percentage there. 21 to 26 It's pretty darn solid uh, between those two levels. So you have a plus base runner, at least a net positive base runner, depending on how much it translates at the big league level. You have a switch hitter who can tap into now legitimate power. That's definitely going to translate at Yankee Stadium. I mean, to hit the 29 homers in 118 games between those two levels is great. The K rate did not go, you know, berserk. He kept it at 25%. The walk rate up to 8%. That was the highest of his minor league career. 
but that's something that needs to improve. I think that's something that's really holding him back. If you look at WRC+, plus, the fact that he only had a 114 WRC+, plus despite hitting 24 home runs in AA, is a testament to the fact that the walk rate really hurt him. 256 batting average with a 311 on base is tough. 492 slugging, that'll play. His nine games in AAA were outrageous. Nine games there, he launched five homers. Five homers. He hit 500 in those nine games. So, I mean, yeah, I'm never going to draw much into a sample size of nine games, but if you're going to run into five bombs in AAA with a different baseball there, presumably, the ball seems to carry more in AAA. And, again, he's a guy that backspins naturally really well, and it really translated at the AAA level for him. You can really see how that was something that helped him uh, in terms of just being able to lift the ball and the, the physicality that he added and just being able to attack the right pitches. His home run to fly ball rate had never been higher than 5.5%, and between these two levels, it was at 19%, so definitely figured it out. Something I teased in the earlier episode in part one when I was talking about Jason Dominguez is, you know, switch hitters who have one side that they are way better at are a little bit frustrating at times. Uh, But if there's going to be one side that you're better at, you want to be better from the left side because you're going to hit about two thirds of your ABs from that left side. That's why guys like Ozzy Albies are big head scratcher for me because they are so, 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 so much better from the right side, yet you are willingly taking two-thirds of your at-bats from the side you are not as good at. It really impacts your numbers. There's some similarities, though, to Albies here, uh, minus the fact that Cabrera's much better from the left side, which is really good. I'm glad he is better from the left side. But for Cabrera, it's almost it's almost at the point where you have to think, could it really be that much worse left on left? Because from the left side, his OPS is 350 points higher. So he is legitimately putting an OPS up, 350 points lower from the right side. At that point, I don't know if the discrepancy would even be that much worse going left versus right and then left versus left. His right side, the swing, just it's uncomfortable. He seems a little bit robotic. There's not a lot of rhythm or fluidity to the swing, and he seems a little bit disrupted with his timing. I think Cabrera should fully commit to the left side, focus on one swing. I think it'll allow his left side to continue to just play up and play better. I mean, 26 of his 29 home runs came from that left side. Uh, He had a 350 on base from the left side, 277 on base from the right side. So when I'm just looking at it from that lens, I'm like, why don't you just focus on one swing like Cedric Mullins did and just allow that left-handed swing to keep getting better? For Mullins, it wasn't just the fact that he stopped hitting from the right side that allowed him to just have more at-bats from the side he's better at Left on left is still tough. What it allowed Mullins to do is just focus on one swing. Focus on only one side of the plate and focus on those body parts and focus on those movements and get better from there. It allowed Mullins to take his game to the next level. I think it's something that we could see help Cabrera take his game to the next level. Really cheap international free agent guy. Another reason why I always say play the percentages. Sign a bunch of $150,000, $200,000, $300,000 guys, and I think you'll be better off than the one big bopper. $100,000 in 2016, and it's looking like a steal. Just added to the 40-man roster to protect him from the Rule 5. Could be a really nice piece for the Yankees at some point this year in terms of just giving them infield depth. I mean, showing what he did in AAA, uh, I think if he starts this year in AAA, eventually using that 40-man spot on him, I'm sure they'd like to see him involved at the big league level at some point. But it is worth noting that he's still really young. He's still 22 years old. Um, and still filling out even a little bit more. He's still only 5'10", 150, 160, if that, uh, even after adding some of that strength. So Cabrera, 
Again, I'm a little bit concerned that the inability to walk will hold him back a bit at the big league level. But if he's a super utility guy who can hit for power, who can do a little bit of everything at every position, I think Cabrera is a very interesting prospect here. The craziest part is he could easily still be getting better and better, so he could end up turning into a legit regular. If this guy's playing second base for you, there are some similarities to an Aussie Albies. Size-wise, Albies didn't really tap into power that much in the minor leagues, really tapped into it more at the big league level. Maybe not quite as athletic as Albies, but Albies doesn't walk. He hits a lot of homers. He plays some good defense at second base, and he's a lopsided switch hitter, except lopsided on the other side, which you would actually not want as much. There's a chance that Cabrera could actually turn into that type of Ozzy Albies profile, maybe not quite as physically gifted with how just ridiculous the bat speed is for Ozzy Albies. But again, Cabrera's tapping into more power at a younger age than Albies did and has the favorable side. There's some interesting upside here. There's also some question with the approach and question of what his true position would be which limits him to probably the back end of the number eight spot in the system, but another name that is worth watching and could be one of those guys that never really t- cracked the top 100 list and ends up being a really solid regular. Uh, but I could see Cabrera continuing to take his game to the next level and turning into a really solid regular, uh, but it's probably more likely he ends up that super utility guy who can really impact the baseball, regardless, a really good get here for the Yanks. Number nine. Another former first-rounder with a fantastic feel to hit who just doesn't quite get the love. I think some people are really excited about him and some forget he exists. Austin Wells, catcher-slash-first-base prospect in the Yankee system. Wells wants to catch. He's going to do everything in his power to catch, uh, but I just don't think he's going to catch. It's a bit of a mess for him back there behind the dish. Not a great receiver. Doesn't block exceptionally well. But the bat's the calling card here. I mean, I've talked about it on some other episodes. I've seen Austin Wells in the Cape League. I watched him go yard three times in a doubleheader. The guy has really easy, smooth swing, a really easy, smooth swing from the left side. Great bat-to-ball skills, pretty strong approach. Is able to crush velo. Still is able to stay back and make good swings on breaking balls. Good body control at the plate for Wells. He's just a really polished hitter with power that he's continuing to figure out how to tap into better and better and it wasn't a surprise to me at all he was probably one of my favorite guys in the Arizona Fall League or one of my favorites to just dominate there and it wasn't surprising that in his 18 games in the Arizona Fall League he hit 344 456 578 struck out 16 times walked 13 times and 79 plate appearances but if you look at his numbers between low A and high A, really good overall, 264, 390, 476 slash line. Uh, The numbers remain consistent even after the call-up. He got the bump up to high A, still produced pretty much the same numbers that he produced in low A, maybe a little bit less power, but a bit more contact. So you're happy with that. Between the two levels overall, the 16 home runs is great. He's a smart, opportunistic type of base runner as well. He's just a good, instinctual player. He stole stole 16 bags. He was taking advantage of that rule a little bit out there, but stole some bags towards the end of the year as well. Like He's just a smart baseball player out there, will run on the right pitches. That's why I think there's still a little bit of hope that he can make it happen behind the dish because he can call a great game. He's very cerebral, but the physical skills back there are lacking. I'm not fully shutting the door on him as a catcher just because of his desire to stick back there and his overall baseball acumen. 
But again, it's really about the bat here, and the bat is legit. He's able to hit left-handed pitching. He's able to hit you know, breaking balls already really well for a young player in the professional realm. Really a all-around good offensive weapon. Can drive the ball to all fields. Hits the ball where it's pitched really well. It doesn't expand the zone. Walks a ton. Has always walked a ton. And that really makes his profile as a hitter, I think, just even safer. The fact that he already has the good bat-to-ball skills and walks a lot. And this isn't just a high low A walk rate that we saw from him, you know, where you saw him walk 17% of the time in low A and 12% of the time in high A. He walked a ton in the Cape. He walked a ton in college. Like, that's always been his MO. Yes, he did strike out a bit more in high A, but I think he was working through some adjustments, working through some tweaks. And then again, went to the Arizona Fall League and those strikeouts were put to bed for the most part. I'm not expecting him to be much of a strikeout guy. I'm expecting him to be a 25 home run power type of profile with 280, 270 batting average, super high OBP. If he ends up at first base, you know, it does ding him a little bit, obviously, because if you're putting up those numbers as a catcher, it's much different. I do think there's potential for him to be able to play the outfield as well. But for now, they're going to give him every shot at catcher. I think Wells still has a chance, and I'm interested to see how he continues to develop out there. A lot of pass balls, not a lot of throwing guys out last year, so that'll be something to follow. But overall, the, the bat, again, will make him a legitimate big leaguer down the line. Uh, and the only reason why he's not a top 100 guy is he's a bit positionless right now. Next up is another Yankees arm who is not getting the attention outside of the Yankees circles that he deserves, and it's wild. I, I definitely feel weird saying that there's Yankees prospects that don't get enough attention because generally that's not how it works. That's how it is for Hayden Wesneski. Hayden Wesneski, right-handed pitching prospect in that system. Number 10 here for us at just baseball. Finished the year in AAA. Has two pitches that are bullpen ready right now. Fastball slider that could be in the Yankees bullpen tomorrow. It really is that nasty for him with those two pitches. But I think there's a legitimate chance that this guy sticks in the rotation because he has good command. He does not get the swings and misses to the degree of a Ken Waldachuk just because he doesn't have that devastating changeup. But the fastball is good and the slider is great. And that combination has made Wisniewski really difficult to hit uh, between the two levels or three levels, I should say. Another guy who did the big three-level jump last year, which is, again, really rare. Certain guys that really exceeded expectations ended up doing that because teams realized that first assignment was a a bit too, I would say, cautious. And that's what happens when guys come out better than you thought they they would in 2021. Between the three levels, Wesneski was fantastic. You look at the surface level, 3.25 ERA, 130 and a thirds innings, 151 Ks, only 36 walks. So the command is there. I mean, the command really is there. The FIP at 3.52, 29% K rate, 7% walk rate, 1.1 whip, 228 opponent batting average. It's it's legit across the board here for Wesneski. Finished the year with two starts in AAA where he was good there as well. I mean, the guy really pitched at every single level. Understandably, the strikeout rate dipped a tad between double A AA and triple A and dipped a little bit between low A and high A. It was at 11.6K per nine in high A. And by the time he got to triple A in those 11 innings was closer to 9.8. Still really good stuff there given that the walk rates are low. And he's not out here giving up a ton of loud contact. Wesneski's combination there of the fastball slider is great. He mixes in a changeup enough 
that, again, with the command, he should be fine. The changeup actually played up well because he has a good feel for it and he located it well. When you have that mix, I think Wisniewski's in good shape. He'll manipulate the slider at times to be more of a cutter, giving him another look as well, which I really like because that'll bore in on lefties and it's really difficult for lefties to get the barrel out. He'll bust it in on them. So when you have the cutter that you can manipulate from the slider in on lefties, the slider that you can use to righties, uh, the changeup that you mix in, and of course, the fastball is a good pitch as well. Wesneski's in good shape. He's a guy that I think is high floor, maybe not the ceiling of a wall to chuck, but probably even a bit higher of a floor just because of the command in the mix. Uh, I would really bet on Wesneski being a back end of the rotation starter and a good one. I think there's number three upside if this stuff continues to play up in the command uh, really works across the board with all of his pitches because of the different looks he can give you, uh, but a really, really, really high chance of being a solid number four uh, for the Yankees moving forward and somebody that should be big league ready uh, by middle of the season next year. So the Yankees all of a sudden have some interesting pitching depth in their system. The fact that Wesneski's heater continued to tick up as the year went on and we saw it more in the 94-96 range gives me a lot of hope in this guy, a really good baseline, and I think he's going to be a good piece again, for these Yankees moving forward. Now we're going to talk about some of the other honorable mentions, other names to watch. Elijah Dunham has been a name that I've seen discussed a ton throughout uh, the Yankee circles and just in general, because I think Dunham is a unique case here where the undrafted label fools people. But remember, 2020's draft was limited to five rounds. And imagine if Elijah Dunham was selected in the sixth round and then came out gangbusters like he did in 2021. We'd say, oh, big time steal in the sixth round. But instead, he's quote unquote undrafted. And everyone's like, oh, are we sure that Dunham is for real? Like, is he really, really doing this? He is really doing this. He's got tools across the board. He really figured it out in college, took his game to the next level towards the end, a late bloomer. And as a result, flew a bit under the radar at Indiana, was off to an outrageous start in 2020, but with the shortened season, didn't get a chance to fully boost his stock. In those 15 games before the season was canceled, he was hitting 390 with a 1,052 OPS. So really, it started to put it together. Was coming off of an outrageous summer in the NECBL, New England Collegiate Baseball League, where he hit 360 there, was one of the best players in the league there with six homers. And so it's probably not a surprise that, at least to the Yankees, that he came out and really swung it well last year. Uh, between low A and high A, he was incredibly solid. He produced 263, 362, 463 slash line. Dunham did as an outfielder with good speed. Then he went out to the Arizona Fall League, which again was, uh, I would say, hitter heavy. But still, you do this anywhere, I'm, I'm paying attention. 357, 465, 571 slash line in 23 games out there. Hit a pair of home runs, 14 walks against 10 strikeouts, and led the league with 11 stolen bases. He swiped 28 bags between low A and high A as well last season. So you had 39 bags in what was only 116 games for Elijah Dunham. If you add in the Arizona Fall League, that's very convincing. Was only thrown out six times as well. So he's a guy that has speed that will translate. He's a guy that has sneaky pull side power. The power to his pull side is legit. Like he hit some moonshots to his pull side, but he uses the whole field better and better. That was something that he really got better at as the year went on. So he knows when he's up, when he's ahead in the count, I'm going to look for something middle in and try to crush it. And then when I get more deep into the counts, I'm going to try to use the whole field and hit it where it's pitched. Dunham's a smart hitter, tools across the board. 
I'd say four of a fourth outfielder, but this guy legit could be a regular. Love the left-handed bat, and I love the profile across the board. Very interesting. Another guy that, you know, at one point was a top 100 prospect as a pitcher, but maybe not quite there anymore. Luis Medina falls just outside of the top 10 for us, uh, but still, you know, a big name to watch. A guy that I think is going to end up being a really good bullpen piece for this Yankees team. When he got a fastball that hits 100, I mean, you know, it's legit. Having seen him in person, though, especially at the Futures game when when I saw him, his 100 just didn't have the same amount of life as, you know, some other guys, 96, 97s. And I think even a Ken Waldichuk's 94 has more life than Medina's 100, and you can see that in the numbers. I mean, Waldichuk gets more whiffs and more chases than Medina's 100 does. Medina's 100 is flat at times. He doesn't hit the spots that you'd expect. It doesn't play up the way you would expect. And that's also the pitch that everybody's geared up for. He doesn't really have the secondaries uh, and the command of the secondaries that you would really expect. He does have a plus curveball that is really hard to throw for a called strike, right? A curveball is generally that's plus with that much vertical break is a swing and miss pitch. You're not stealing strikes or getting called strikes as much with a vertical breaking curveball like you are with a slider. So he's forced to locate the fastball. And if he's not locating the fastball, all he has is that curveball, which again, guys are kind of spitting on and waiting to try to ambush the fastball. So he's got some things to figure out. The command just isn't there. I'm expecting him to be a bullpen guy eventually. Could even get called up sooner rather than later if he gets relegated to a bullpen role. And I think you're hoping for a Jonathan Luizaga, Dellen Batances type of outcome. Another big time freak in the best way possible, Anthony Garcia. Switch hitting Yankees prospect with freakish power. He's already 6'5", 205. I think he just turned 21 years old. He's already produced exit velos over 110 miles an hour. He's hit baseballs that it's the type where everyone just goes silent. And you're just watching. You're like, holy crap. You've probably seen some clips online, on Twitter, wherever, of Anthony Garcia running into baseballs. If you haven't, just search Anthony Garcia on Twitter and you'll see the kind of power he offers. Super aggressive, swings and misses a lot. Uh, but again, it's early for him, and he hit 14 home runs in 39 games last year in low A. There's a lot to like. There's a lot to like. A, a true switch hitter, I think both swings both swings play. It's really just, can he get them to not chase? Can he get himself to not be so aggressive at the plate? The exit velocities are already off the chart. There's a lot to like there, and he's a pretty crazy athlete for how big he is. Name to watch, no doubt about it. Beck Way, another arm I saw a lot of in the Cape League. Fastball sits in the mid-90s and has a ton of arm side run. It's a really intriguing pitch that I think works off of his slider really well. You've got the arm side running mid-90s fastball with a slider that breaks the opposite direction. Those two pitches make him very difficult for right-handers to hit, and that's why nobody touched his slider. I mean, opponents hit legitimately below 100 against it. It's plus and a half, pushing closer to 65-grade pitch. He struggled in high A, but what's crazy about Beckway is he's a guy that almost didn't pitch at all in college. He was a Division II guy at Belmont Abbey, barely even pitched there, just wowed in the Cape Cod League, and as a result, got himself drafted, but really wouldn't have been drafted if it weren't for that crazy Cape Cod League performance because he hardly pitched in college. So it's important to know how extremely raw he is, how limited his innings are, period, in his baseball career. And that's why I think it's not too... It's not too concerning to me, his struggles in high A, and I think he'll continue to progress nicely. And at the very least, will be a really solid bullpen piece. But if they can teach him a third pitch, continue to develop the command, Beckway could be an intriguing piece. Alexander Vargas, shortstop prospect as well. Somebody that could explode onto the scene next year. He's a 20-year-old speedster that just can do a little bit of everything. 
and I really think this is going to be the guy that makes the big leap this coming season. Like many young hitters, the swing's inconsistent, but made some improvements in the complex league the Yankees really like. And with the way the Yankees have been able to help some of their young hitters as of late that have these kind of tools, I think that Vargas could be that next explosive player come 2022. And I'm very excited to see what this guy's going to do next year. Maybe one of my favorite underrated names to watch in this system, though, moving forward, is Ron Marinaccio. Ron Marinaccio could go straight, and I feel like I've said this a lot, the Yankees have a lot of stuff over command, guys. But Ron Marinaccio, I've been watching some video of, of him throwing, uh, you know, in some workouts recently, but also looking back at what he was doing this past year. I've talked to some hitters that have faced Ron Marinaccio, and they've said he is just outrageously disgusting, and it is true. His changeup is a 70 pitch. It is unhittable. It literally... It has crazy arm side fade. It looks like a left-handed slider. And that's what I've been told by some hitters that have faced him, especially lefties. They're like, it looks like a left-on-left slider. It is that nasty. And that's why Marinaccio, he doesn't get a lot of prospect love because he's 26. He's probably going to be almost 27 by the time the season starts. He struck out 40% of batters last year. 40% of batters between AA and AAA. He's a reliever, no doubt about it, but he could legit be one of the lights-out pop-up guys in the back end of the Yankee system. Marinaccio is disgusting. I, I can't emphasize that enough. And his numbers between AA and AAA last year would back that up, a 2.04 ERA. And again, if 40% strikeout rate doesn't do it for you, 105 strikeouts in 66 and a third innings. If that perspective kind of changes, or at least you know hearing it in a different way, 105 strikeouts against 27 walks. 105 strikeouts against 15 earned runs. He, he's crazy. He's crazy, crazy nasty. And I think this is going to be somebody that people are going to be like, where did he come from? And he's going to just carve even big league hitters up with that fastball changeup combination. 70 grade changeup, fastball with a ton of riding life that makes it work as well. Again, talking about pitches playing off of each other. This is the best changeup in the system. And I really like Waldachuk's changeup. This is the best changeup, you know, one of the best changeups I think in the minor leagues. Look out for this dude. He's going to be lights out. Ryder Green, another guy that can swing it. Definitely keep an eye out for him. Swing and miss issues, but good athlete for his size and runs into some baseballs. Uh, but overall, there's just some interesting guys worth following throughout this system. And that's why you got to keep up with the Yankees. You just can't sleep on it. Even when their system seems thin, you can't give up on the Yankees because they end up starting to have guys that can put it together. You Andres Gomez, another young name to watch. Randy Vasquez, another young name to watch. And I'll have more on those guys as we get more into the season. And I see a little bit more of them, but that'll do it for this part two, hour and a half between these two parts of Yankees prospects. So hope you enjoyed that Yankees fans. Just there's a lot to talk about through the system. Hate to admit it. The Yankees are getting deep again with their farm, even though they traded guys away. Surprise, surprise, they're doing things right. Let's see if they can do it right at the big league level, but they're doing it well again at the minor league level. And it was fun to run this down. There should be several of these guys you know, moving around and potentially getting a big league call up next year. And a lot of them are going to shuffle in, interestingly, in the JustBaseball.com Top 100 Prospect write-up. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you on Wednesday.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.